and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be giving a recap of the Thunder Indiana Pacers game and just who really shined in the contest. But just starting it off with the game, we already know with the Thunder, they have just been on a downward spiral since the beginning of April. I think their last win was the final day of March, March 31st, but they just haven't won yet. And for Indiana, they haven't really looked that good as well. In fact, they only won four out of their last 10, and they had a lot of injuries heading into the game. And if you listen to the preview I had, you already know. I mean, they did not have a true center at hand at all. They didn't have Demona Sabonis. They didn't have Miles Turner. And Goga Batadze, they didn't have. So all three of their centers, Sabonis, you can say is a power forward, but he can easily slide up to the center spot. You gut that roster out, and you just don't have anybody else left. So what they had to do was they had to get recently signed, like I'm talking Mar- I'm talking yesterday, or I guess two days ago from now, they had to sign O'Shea Brissett to a multi-year contract. They put him on two 10 days. He looked pretty good with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, but he had to prove himself. They had him as a starting center. He's six foot seven, mind you, and everyone else was really around that same height. So they were playing ultra small ball against the Thunder. And they have Moses Brown, who, for whatever reason, got trimmed from seven foot two to seven one. I still fully believe he's seven foot two. This guy looks ginormous. And Tony Bradley right behind him, he's six foot ten. But compared to O'Shea Brissett, he looks like a giant. So you have two really tall guys, and even players like Darius Baisley, they're almost around six foot nine, and Roby, he's right up there too. So you're just kind of towering over this team. So this seemed like a contest that honestly Oklahoma City could have won. I said in the preview that I thought the Thunder could win this one, and secretly in the back of my head, I was kind of imagining the Thunder win here. I thought that Moses Brown would have went off, him or Tony Bradley, whichever one it would have been. I thought they would have played extremely well, and Indiana would just never be able to adapt to to our size that we brought. But that's not really what happened, and I'll go into that. But really, the game just started out with that super small lineup for the Pacers, And it didn't matter because they were going to the three-point line. And that's kind of how you dry out and X out that disadvantage you have. So four out of their first five field goals made came from distance. And even on the first possession they had, they had two offensive rebounds. So it didn't seem like they had any sort of issues on the court. And there was just no room for Moses Brown to operate. And he was, whenever he was getting the ball... He was just kind of congested. I, I don't think he got any real entry passes until like three, four minutes into the game. And whenever he got it, he already had three guys around him. So he couldn't make any use of it. And it actually resulted in an offensive three-second violation. So he was pretty much blank there. And if he wasn't, you know, clogging up the middle, he would have to be sitting around like one of the blocks. And he just couldn't be effective because... If he's going to have a dude that he's like five inches taller, then you give it to him down low and let him take one-on-one. You didn't get that shot. So what ended up happening was the Indiana Pacers, they were up 18 to 12 in the beginning because of their shooting and because the Thunder just could not really capitalize on their height. So Mark Dagnall had to actually pull Moses Brown out of the lineup and put Isaiah Roby in as a small ball five. That's something we have not really seen since the beginning of the second half of the season, like right after the All-Star break, 
we haven't seen Roby playing at the five. We've seen him at the three and the four, but since we have Brown and Bradley, there just hasn't been any room. One to tap back into that because the Indiana Pacers are small, so it makes sense. And they had a guy in O'Shea Brissett who was actually doing pretty well against Moses Brown to begin the game. So it made sense why Roby would get inserted and it got shown because they just rattled off bucket after bucket, 10 consecutive points, completely wiped away that six point lead the Pacers had gotten. They go on the high side, 22 to 18, but then the Pacers, they get right back into the swing of things because they had to call a timeout. Tony Bradley got thrown in for, I think, Baisley. I think you kind of tamper around on positions, but you get Bradley in and you're still playing small ball. The Pacers are. And then they just go back to business as usual. They end up closing the frame out on a 16-6 run. So they got back up six points to enter that second. They were up 34-28. to And the reason why was the three, which they were kind of knocking at the first like four minutes, it came back at the very end when they had a traditional center in, in Bradley. So they ended up making eight out of 14 threes in the quarter. And Oklahoma City, they really just could not combat that at all. They had 22 points in the paint. I believe it was either that or 20. But they only had two three-pointers to go in. So they couldn't really, you know, fight up against that. So they're up heading into the second. But there's still a lot more time to go. But then Indiana got in another mini run. They got on a 13-6 run in the first three minutes to get up 13 points. And then the Thunder... They were kind of playing double-digit catch-up. It took them four minutes to dig out of that hole and finally get into the single digits. And it's because they got Moses Brown back in the game. You flip the script again. Earlier, it wasn't working having Moses Brown in. You put him in, and there was a little bit of success. And the way they got it down to nine points was Moses Brown. He had to save the ball. It was flying out into the end line. And he had to make like a diving save midair, just throws it right behind over his shoulder. He had no clue what was going on, but it went directly into Darius Baisley's hands and he just got a two-handed jam to get them back into the game. But right as the Thunder seemed to be picking up steam, the Pacers got right back in. They got a Malcolm Brogdon layup and they kept the double-digit lead all the way until halftime. They're up 67 to 57 and the reason they were still doing well was because of the three-point shooting they hit 10 of 22 threes Oklahoma City they shot just four of 13 and all their points just came right around the basket they ended up having 16 points off of second chances and they had 38 points in the paint so that was their pluses but the Pacers were right behind them they had 28 points in the paint and they actually had more points off second chance at 20 so a little bit weird I don't think you would expect that looking at the the starting lineups but they were able to handle it Brogdon was doing extremely well so was O'Shea Brissett and scouring the offensive rebounds and they were just kicking the ball out for wide open looks and then on fast breaks of course because the Thunder you know they're kind of just going right at the rim there was not enough time for them to kind of go back into transition and play defense. So 12 fast break points, that's going to help their case even more. But one tiny little tidbit that came during halftime was Alexei Pokashevsky, who started, he played around the first five minutes of the game. 
he wasn't going to return. He had a non-COVID illness. They didn't describe what it was, but they had to pull him from the game. And I guess technically you could pin that as first quarter, but they ruled him out officially right around halftime. So he was gone, and that just meant more reps for guys like Isaiah Roby and Kenrich Williams, even Shreem Kailuk as well. But starting out the third quarter, didn't seem like Poku being gone hurt them a ton because they did a really good job in getting back down into single digits. And they got a golden opportunity here. So they got a normal basket. They had an eight-point deficit to cover. But shot after shot, the Indiana Pacers could not get in sync. They went one out of their first five shots. If you're trying to make a comeback, that kind of cold spell is what you need to go off of. You need to ride that storm and pick up some steam. Just get your momentum and then they're kind of screwed over, and you can find yourself back into like a tie ball game. But they weren't able to do that, because as the Pacers were missing, the Thunder, they were just missing possessions in general. They had three turnovers in the first two minutes, or correct that, from like the 11-minute mark to the 9-minute mark. So in two minutes, they had three different turnovers, and it let the Pacers get out of that really scotch-free, which... Is, is crazy to think about. Typically, you don't ever see that happen. But the Pacers, they got right back where they needed to be, and then they started slipping again. They started missing their shots, but more importantly this time, the Thunder started to get hot, and they got hot through one man in Moses Brown. Super passive in the first half. Seemed like he didn't really have any confidence. Like There would be timeouts where he would be... I wouldn't say not listening to teammates, but it was clear like his confidence was just completely trotted. He was not really listening. Saw like Maladone was trying to give him some tips or whatever at a timeout. He wasn't having it. But in the third quarter, he seemed to be good. And he was good because he was just going right back to the fundamentals. If you're seven foot two and your man's six foot seven, just snag the rebound right over him and put the shot up. Call for the ball, go one-on-one in the post, and you're going to end up on the high side nine times out of ten. So that's what he did, and he led the Thunder on an 11-0 run. In that 11-0 run, though, he scored seven of those points. Darius Baisley, he accounted for the other four. But the final play that sounded off the 11 straight points was pretty good. So ball I think it hits like back iron or whatever and Malcolm Brogdon he grabs a ball like over his head so his arms are fully extended out and he's trying to bring the ball down and then start his dribble get ready on the transition offense Moses Brown Moses Brown got right in front of him and just got both his hands on the ball and he literally just pried it right out of Brogdon's hands Turned around because he had about like four to five feet to chuck it up. Pretty long rebound. But he pried it away. And then it was just like a pop of shot. He doesn't have to go up that high to get his shots off. So he didn't need a dunk. Just simple push shot. Went in and he got a foul on it because Brogdon simply was not giving up on that play. So he got to the line. Buried a free throw. And then Nate Bjorken was just heated. He had to call a timeout and... Indiana, they were going to have to kind of recollect themselves because they went from pretty steadily just having this game to now you're talking close to one possession and literally a one-point game after Moses Brown 
got that and one to go. So he was furious, called a timeout, and then right out of the huddle, it seemed like everything paid off because in that timeout, Dagnalt made the decision to take Moses Brown out of the game, and I think they went back to small ball. And unlike the first half where small ball helped them out, it hurt them big time to close out the third because the Indiana Pacers, they were back up and running, able to go on a 13-4 stretch, got a 10-point cushion at one point, and at the quarter's close, they were up 7 points, 93-86. to So Oklahoma City, they needed to get a run, and they needed one fast. And to start out the fourth, they were just going right around the basket, just what they were always doing. Their first four baskets came right inside the paint, and the one that didn't was like an 11-foot baseline jumper, so it was pretty close to being in the paint anyways. Point being, they were not actively looking at perimeter shots for their looks. But in the time, the Pacers were also attacking the basket, so they were matching each other really just stride for stride, and nothing happened until around the six-minute mark. That's when we started seeing stretches, and it's when Moses Brown got back in, and he flushed a dunk down to narrow the game to just one point, because the lead was kind of flip-flopping, like you would see the Pacers up six, down to three, get it up five, you know what I'm talking about, but it never was inside that one possession, never scary territory for them, but after Moses Brown got his dunk, one point game and that's when you would kind of cower and you're like what's gonna happen as a thunder fan if you want them to be losing you're probably not too happy when you saw that play but it's okay because Karis Levert went right back and scored five points unanswered to get them up six and then they scored another two points so they got up eight scoring seven consecutive points and then with a couple possessions down the line, the Indiana Pacers actually got back up nine because Karis LeVert and O'Shea Prissett, they were crushing the Thunder late. So they're up 118 to 109 with about a minute 30 seconds to go in the game. And that's when you think it's over. We've seen this numerous times over this 11 game losing streak. You'll see the Thunder get inside single digits and then there's like a minute or two and Obviously, you're not going to be able to let them run out the clock, get up a shot, and come back. So it seemed like they were done. Nine points, really like a three-possession game. And with how they were shooting the three-point, three-pointer, it, it, it was not going to be a three-point game. It was going to be, you know this is over. Let's just get the 90 seconds over with. But they got in the heat of things. They got clutch. And they started accelerating. So Svima Kailuk, he got the ball right off the inbound and just took it really just coast to coast, weaving through defenders, drives in through the left side, takes contact, and finishes off a beautiful finger roll. On the other end, Indiana, they have a blank possession, and it's back in the Thunder's hands. They get it into Darius Baisley, and he sinks another layup. You shred it to five points. Still a two-possession game, and with the time winding down, you would think it would simply not be enough time. But on the inbound, Malcolm Brogdon, he went to his right side, 
and just around their hash mark, so he didn't cross the timeline, he got pretty much pinned by Kenrich Williams between the baseline and himself. He had nowhere to go, and he just threw up a prayer because he was about to step out, and in this just errant pass, it went in the hands of Ty Jerome, and he's working right around the free throw line. If he grabs it, he can shoot it, but do you want it to be a three-point game? Ideally not. So he looks right behind him, and who does he have? Teo Maladon. Maladon on the catch and shoots has been deadly. Nobody is around him on this play. So Jerome serves it right up to him. He shoots it, nothing but net. 118 to 116 with 24.5 seconds to go. And now that possibility of the Thunder sneaking in and snagging a W really started to sink in. So Indiana, they didn't advance the ball. They just threw it right back out into the field of play. And TJ McConnell starts strolling up the floor. Tried to get trapped. Thunder tried trapping him, but he broke it. Broke that seal and threw it right over the timeline to Malcolm Brogdon. He was able to dribble the ball out. They end up cutting around five seconds left. And now he's at the line. Hits the first free throw. Hits the second free throw. So it's back up to four points. And now the Thunder, they're going right back at it again in probably a last-ditch effort. So they call a timeout to advance the basketball. And it goes in to Darius Baisley. He drives in from the left side for a layup. But he got stuffed. They already knew. You know how prevalent the paint was? The Pacers knew that they were going to be going inside. So he got just sandwiched between his man and O'Shea Prezet. So he tried gunning a dump-off pass. And the dump-off passes, for Baisley at least, have not worked out too well. Exact same on this play. Ball luckily got deflected by an Indiana Pacers defender. But they now were right under the rim having to inbound the ball with 12 seconds to go. So they throw the ball back in. Darius Baisley receives it up top. And then he tries working back inside. And he settled on a 7-foot fadeaway to try to knock it down to 2. And he missed. Pacers get the ball, fouled, and then they stick to free throws. That was your ball game. Just a couple of weird sequences to end the game. Like, if you're down four points, I would assume you'd go for threes. That's not what happened. And it came back to haunt them. So the Thunder lost 122 to 116. For them, they're still fifth in the lottery standings at 20 and 39. That is their 12th straight loss. And the Indiana Pacers, they're ninth in the East at 27 and 31. The difference between the East and the West is huge, as you guys know. Like, in the Western Conference, we're not even talking play-in right now for them if they had a below 500 record, but you kind of just let it pass for right now. But anyways, this was, like, one of their key games that they could have flipped the page on, and they just couldn't get it done. See, the last four games, they have had a serious chance heading down into the clutch to win, and they just have not been able to convert. And Mark Dagnalt, he commended the Thunder's efforts for at least playing well down the stretch, but he said that they needed to be cleaner, and even though they hung in there, they did not 
end up getting the victory. But it is what it is. You move on. For the Indiana Pacers, this was a major win for them because of the playoff standings. They're kind of in a limbo spot where they're going to be stuck in mediocrity. Like, sure, they could make a play-in game, but are they going to make a playoff push? Chances are no, unless Sabonis and Turner come back. Same with TJ Warren, too, and just start balling out. But the timelines on them are a little shaky. At least I can say that with Miles Turner and TJ Warren. I don't know if they'd even play again this year. So they're not they're not built to be a contender. And at that same time, they're not a bottom tier team. So they're sandwiched around the 10 to like 16 spots in the lottery. But they didn't really have a direction. And we saw it whenever we clobbered Toronto. They switched from maybe we could be a playing team to now let's just sandbag and hope we're able to finish out pretty bad and get a good pick. That was like March 31st. Now we're talking a Pacers team who they don't really have a full-on identity of what they're going to do to close out the season. If they so chose to, they have around like 12, 13 games remaining. They could, by all accounts, just lose the remaining and they might have a good shot at the lottery. But with this win, now they're kind of in a position where they probably are still going to be jousting for a play-in seed. So it's good for us and it's also good for them. But it's also good because they got to see a lot of new players shine. And Karis LeVert and Malcolm Brogdon, we knew that entering this game, they were going to be the one and two. You didn't know, you know, who would be above the other, but they're going to be your stars in the game. So as expected, you had LeVert and Malcolm Brogdon being your one and two. Brogdon had 29 points on 11 of 23 shooting, but he also had 15 rebounds on the game. And Karis LeVert had 28 points and 5 rebounds to go along with it. But they were not the X-Factors in this game. The X-Factor was O'Shea Brissett. And if you guys check my Twitter at all, you know that I sent this out, okay? And it was kind of something that I talked about a little bit in the preview yesterday, but I didn't go full in-depth onto the details and backstory beside um, Brissett and Moses Brown. But if Brissett was going to be playing starting center, which he did, it was going to be the make-or-break moment. I said that O'Shea Brissett was going to determine if the Thunder won or lost the game, and I 100% still agree with that, and I think that's why they ultimately won the game. But he was entering this as a guy that Moses Brown literally walked all over in the month of February. When they played the Blue versus the Mad Ants, Brown probably had his best game of the year. He had 24 points on 10 of 17 shooting, and he had 20 rebounds. Nine of those came on the offensive glass. O'Shea Brissett was just a man in his way, and he was just pushing him right along to the side. Was not a threat at all. Brissett, in that game, he was still solid. He had 16 points, shot 5 of 12, and he had 18 boards, but he played 37 minutes. So I was entering this game expecting Moses Brown to continue the success, but it did not work out that way. Moses Brown was good in this game, yes, but was he better than Brissett? Absolutely not. O'Shea came in, and he scored 23 points on the game, did it on 8 of 16 shooting, and he also had a double-double with 12 rebounds, four of those coming on the offensive glass. 
And on top of it, too, defensively, he was super sound. He had two blocks. Actually, check that. He had three blocks and two steals, and he didn't even really foul that much. He only had two, which relative to what he was playing, that is nothing. When you're playing everything except for six minutes, you can get away with having two fouls. Like, 42 minutes, easily played the most in the game, and he looked good for all 42 of those. So he was the reason they won, and that was the key matchup because if Brissett just was not able to defend Moses Brown or Bradley whoever it may be to start out the game you were talking the Thunder potentially running away with the contest but he played so well to the extent that Mark Dagnalt seriously put in small ball lineups like he had to revert to their style of play to make things work and it only worked half the time and you can tell me that you know maybe small ball would have made sense like if you're talking past series how about the thunder versus the rockets if we just pulled steven adams out of the equation for that series the thunder probably would have won that game at about six or seven but since billy donovan was super just you know you can call him whatever you want but he was super pushy about pulling adams out he ended up playing a ton and once we started figuring out he was the problem it was far too late and you know the houston rockets were able to win I don't really think this is on that same exact level. Like, sure, if you would have put Baisley on to Brissett for the whole 48 minutes, him or Roby, you're talking a different ball game. But with Moses Brown, you have serious history with him, him and Brissett, and you know that when he gets rolling inside, no one is going to stop him. He's not like Steven Adams where he's super passive the whole time. Moses Brown... He is so aggressive to the point where he becomes a detriment at times because he's going for putbacks where it's right above the cylinder or he's staying down low in the paint for too long. Just those simple errors that suck, but you know that there's energy involved in that. So I don't know if pulling Moses Brown out of the game was a good or bad decision. I think that based on what Brissett was doing in the first, it was. But if Moses Brown was feeling it, there would have been no point in bringing in a small ball lineup because you could have just played bully ball, fed him the ball, and he would have got you 20 plus points and probably like 15 or more rebounds. So I thought that Moses Brown in his role was all right, but there was still a lot more untapped potential. And the reason why it was left untapped was Brissett was such a problem defensively for Brown. He just simply could not play on him. And Brissett, you would imagine he would be like a shooting guy. He actually tried shooting a decent amount of threes. He shot two of seven, but his bread and butter actually came from just camping around the basket and staying around the mid-range area. So just to the point where Brown has to take a couple steps further than he's comfortable with, and then he would just attack, and it became too much. And then once you had guys like Roby or Baisley come in, it was just typical basketball for O'Shea Brissett. So he dominated. This was clearly his best game he's had in an NBA contest before. I think if I remember on the broadcast, this was maybe like his 19th career game. He played um, played with the Raptors last year, but he looked super duper solid. And without him, if you replaced him with someone else, you were going to be in big trouble because they simply did not have any tall guys on the roster. And Brissett, he has the center experience, luckily. But if you would have taken him out and you would have had their typical roster, you seriously would have had to consider playing guys like Karis LeVert or Keelan Martin at center. 
If you're going to do that, you might as well just forget about the game because that's not going to be a good formula. Brissett, he proved all the doubters wrong and he really just pioneered the victory for the team. But between that big three, still had two other guys in double figures, TJ McConnell and Edmund Sumner. And then the other two were a little bit quiet. But they only had nine men in the rotation and all of them just filled in super duper well to the point that I can understand why the Thunder could not just keep up with them from wire to wire. But going into what the Thunder did in this game, it was still all about hounding Brissett and hounding their front court because they simply just did not have a typical one. And yeah, they played small ball, but the focus still rested on the twos. They tied a franchise single game record in going for 76 points in the paint, but they could not capitalize from three. If they would have hit a couple more threes, this outcome would have been changed. But the fact they shot so poor from distance, they just left them right on the outside. They shot nine of 29 from three. That is by all accounts terrible. So they shot just a little bit over the 30% mark with that 31%. But with the volume they were taking, that's just simply not going to be enough for you. And they got to a line, but it was not enough either. They only got there 16 times where the Indiana Pacers, they got there 20 times. They made 16 free throws. Thunder only made 11. So there's five points on its own you're going to be giving up. But looking outside of those two statistics... You need to talk about their turnovers and their assists. They ended up having 17 turnovers on this game, but I'm going to give them a rain check here. I keep complaining about the turnovers, but the reasoning is they just simply aren't passing the ball enough. So if you're going to have more turnovers and assists, you're not winning the game. Well, they had 26 assists. Haven't checked. That's probably one of their higher ones they've had this month. And in the ratio of 26 to 17, that's also not that bad based on what we've seen later on or just what we've seen on the season for them. And for over half of their made shots, they actually came assisted just around 54% there too. So they were ready to pass the ball around and they were just slashing the basket at will to collect their points. But nobody did that any better than Darius Baisley. He tied a career high, which he literally set in the last game. Had 26 points on um, on Monday. Yesterday, he also had 26 points. Not as efficient. Took him 25 shots to get up there. Went 9 of 25 as a whole. But I'm just going to look at it face value. 26 points. That's a pretty big margin, especially for a 20-year-old. And then on top of that, he almost got a double-double getting nine rebounds on the game. Here's the thing. You're always going to get one half of the Baisley show. I guess you could split it into thirds if you want to, if you want to include like assists in its own category, but there's the inside game and there's the outside game. You don't typically see them both together, and if you do, you're not going to see him with the ball the whole entire game. Like He'll have times where he kind of gives you samplers of the inside game and the outside game, but... We haven't seen like a 20 plus point explosion where he can't miss from three and then right as you step up, he's blazing by you for a slam dunk. He just hasn't gotten there yet. And I think a reason for that is, I mean, before his injury and before he came back from it, 
he was just super passive. So the times he was shooting well from three, he didn't want to do anything else besides shooting the three. Now he's expanded to where, yeah, if he's feeling it from, from three, I'm going to work inside too. But on that flip side, when it's working from inside, he's also shooting the three ball. So on twos, he was great. He shot eight of 17. And on threes, he shot one of eight. So he's he's not able to get it all together. And when we see a game where you're talking like three of four from three or four of six on top of what he's doing inside, you're going to hear everybody raving about this guy as another potential star on the thunder lineup because if he can put that in check and add a three to his game he's going to be a very dangerous player for the long-term future of this team but he couldn't get it from three luckily though just like he did in the last game he got it done from the free throw line led the team in free throws attempted got to the stripe for nine attempts and he ended up sealing the deal on seven of those and mark dagnault was talking about how he's been so effective inside after the game he said he's getting to his spots really good when he plays in there aka the paint and he's really good at getting to the line he is progressing Absolutely. I think that the real factor is because he's really playing aggressively, trying to get inside, he's working a lot better. He's been cowering away, or at least in the first half of the season, he was cowering from defenders. He did not want to initiate the contact. And now you bring that into his game and you're going to be able to see some more 15 to 20 point games. And when he was getting like the 15 to 20 point games earlier on in the year, it was not on great efficiency, and typically what you would see was it would be like catch-and-shoot situations where he goes like 3 of 11 from downtown. Maybe not to that degree, but he wasn't creating most of his shots. Like, it was given on a silver platter. You'd see a couple of times where he would create his own shot off like a spin move or something to a layup, but the effectiveness wasn't all there. Now, when he makes a move to get inside, he's capitalizing a lot more. And on pull-ups, he's looking pretty decent, just not the catch and shoots right now. So he's growing as a player. And I think, honestly, the fact that Dort and SGA have been gone these last two games have really just helped him out. Just like it did with Poku and Maladone when you had Dort, SGA, and Baze gone, it's doing the same for him. He gets to be the star of the show for the week. And as a Thunder fan, you should be all for that. You want to see that with everybody on the roster if we have a gutted roster again where it's like an eight-man rotation with rookies you got robies fees starting whatever it may be that's what you that's what you want to be rooting for because you know sga his ceiling is super duper high if we bring him in we're probably going to catch some w's lou dort you want to see him expand his game but i think we kind of know his edges now like we understand the real build with him he's a two-way guy who can also attack pretty hard at the basket, and be a catch-and-shoot piece. Darius Baisley, we know the groundwork with him, but he's not kind of a set-in-stone guy like SGA or Lou Dort yet, so you want to be able to put him in this incubation stage for the closing, uh, I think it's like 13 games of the season for us. You want to put him in that incubation stage where you just let him loose and let him develop as a player. Make sure we get every last bit of potential out from him until we move on for his year three season because now is the golden opportunity because when we start next year we're gonna be hitting the ground running I don't know if we're gonna be going for a playoff spot already 
but there's definitely going to be some improvement to the roster. Like, we're going to have SGA back, Dort's going to be there, we're going to have some high picks, where exactly they're slotted, we don't know yet, but it's going to be a much different team, and Baisley, he may not have another chance like this again, especially when there's a guy, an Alexei Pogoshevsky, kind of breathing down on his neck for that point forward gig. So he has all the time in the world to be making his plays. There's going to be some tough moments, but we've seen him really progress and see him more as like an elite finisher around the basket. Still don't know on that three-point shot, though. One guy who we know from three is deadly, Shvi Mikhailuk. He had two threes in this game, but that's not what got him kind of the honors. He had 20 points in the game, but... He had nine field goals, two of those were those threes, and the other seven went from a layup or a dunk. He has been very diverse in his play style, and we've seen him more as like an outside to inside player. He changed it. He was an inside to outside guy. The primary option was attacking the rack, and outside was kind of where he feasted when there was just scraps left on the table. But when he was going up for set, he was full steam ahead. There was nobody who was seven feet tall, being able to just smack the ball out of his hands. And Steve Mikhailuk, I think he's like six foot five or six foot six. So he's right up there anyways. And he's not going down without a fight. He's pretty physical, believe it or not. So he was hanging up in the air for final possessions. In that key layup that I mentioned when they were down nine points, he started the 7-0 run. He was going through like three different guys on the play, weaving between two defenders. When he gets at the rack, he's meeting someone at the rim and just hanging up there until he's able to get the shot off. So he has looked very good in that respect. And he does have some actual hops. Like it's not a, well, I'll take it back. His dunks are like a typical, like two-handed rim grazer, nothing too wild, but he'll catch some hang time. And on rare occurrences, he's going to meet someone at the rim and just put them on a poster now is it going to be like a flashy flashy poster no but he's going to be getting a body somewhere and you know they might be embarrassed for like a half or second or two but he's been able to be just super gritty inside and he's kind of able to take some wear and tear too and in this starting gig he was really good and he actually played 36 minutes he played second most on the team basically played the most obviously at 37 but he played three-fourths of that game, and you couldn't really see any signs of fatigue with him, to be quite honest. Beyond him, it does get a little bit different. I mean, Kenrich Williams, I thought he had a pretty decorated game again. He had 15 points and 7 rebounds. 6 of 12 from the field and 2 of 4 from 3. Also had 2 steals, including a major force turnover he had on Brogdon. But um, I think with him, we know kind of what we have he's the jack of all trades and with the three continuing to be effective for him it's a serious serious trait that he has kind of grown onto. but I kind of want to go into the guys that were oddballs going into this and it starts with Moses Brown talked about him and O'Shea Brissett the tension they had in the G League and kind of just setting the stage for the game he was not bad I might have made it out that way when I talked about Brissett like forcing Dagnall's hand a little bit I wouldn't consider it that at all, but it was clear with the offense OKC was running where Darius Baisley was leading the show, 
Moses Brown was not going to help out as much as a guy like Isaiah Roby who can space the floor. Like, they needed a five-out offense at times for Darius Baisley to do work. And with Moses Brown, that's never going to happen. You're never going to see him taking a mid-range jumper. That's just not part of his game. He will set you a high ball screen, but you know damn well he's going to be trodden down into the paint like a second or two later. So I do see why Dagnall might take him out in terms of like scheme fit because he didn't fit the play style. But if it was a bully ball centric game where Moses Brown was a star, I still do truly believe he would have had a major impact because he played just 16 minutes in this game, but he still recorded a double-double. He had 12 points and 11 rebounds. Six of those were on the offensive end. And we've seen him go blank 0 for 3 a couple times this week. He was 5 for 8 to start the game. And he did have a tiny miscue when he had his offensive 3 second. I think he also might have had an offensive interference. Not 100% positive on that one though. But there were a couple missteps with him. He was able to sure it up. And then right as he was looking good, he got pulled out of the game. And a little bit hard for me to digest that. I would have loved to see Moses Brown just go at a tiny defender again. Because we haven't seen it that much. But we got a little glimpse. And it's a promising glimpse. So I'm not going to chalk it up as him getting dominated by O'Shea set. I think that defensively, he couldn't stand up with him. But on the offensive side of things, I would have taken Moses Brown on Brissett one-on-one like every single time, pretty much. It just didn't really feel that way. Um, because of his role, he was still being used as a dump-off solution, not a actual number one option where you give him an entry pass and let him work down low. But it is what it is. I could talk all day about that. Instead, you had guys like Tony Bradley try to fill in as well. He played 15 minutes in the game, shot four of eight from the floor, got eight points and eight rebounds. Four of those came offensive. But just as I said with Brown, no entry passes. He was working for every single thing he got. And then you had Isaiah Roby, who played 27 minutes, but he was playing at the four and the five. And hey, you might as well say he played at a three, because when you got Bays and him together, it is a little bit um, versatile on where you want to slot him. But anyways, he looks super good as a five again. And I talked about it a couple days ago, like Roby, he actually seems at his best when he's at the five. And when you're going up against like an Ennis Cantor or whatever, it's never going to work. Like he's not going to be able to out-rebound somebody. But when you go against a guy like O'Shea Brissett or someone who's like 6'10", 6'11", sure, Isaiah Roby for a little bit is going to be a quick solution, and it gives you a little bit of diversity to take a couple quick jabs and get yourself back on top. And that happened with the 10-0 run when he got initiated into the game, and I think the whole time, he was still a pretty positive asset. So he shot 3 of 6 from the floor, had 7 points because one of those shots came from distance, And then he also had three rebounds, three assists, and a steal. So I think that matched up with Brissett. He was really good. And really, he was being used as like a fifth piece. You just kind of throw him into the lineup, plug and play, and let the other guys kind of benefit from it. Because him compared to a traditional center is much different. We've seen him being able to be a pick and pop guy as well as a pick and roll guy. So he's diverse in that respect. And then also he can just still stand still in the corner and someone like Brissett or whatever center is not going to be right under the basket. And if you have someone like Bayes crashing inside, 
it's going to be an easy kick out to Roby for a shot or just another pass that's going to ultimately lead to a wide open perimeter three. So he shakes it up, and I think that him just being there was beneficiary to everybody involved. I think that Moses Brown, like I said, would have been great against Brissett for a long time, but we just didn't get to see it for uh, most of that game. So it is what it is. And then behind him, there were a couple of other players. Teo Maladone got nine points and seven assists on the game. He only shot three of ten. From the floor, though, Poku, as I said, got removed after five minutes in the game. And then Jalen Horde, he's been a super sweet addition. Eight points and four rebounds in 13 minutes. Always working inside. And just as I say with um, probably what Svi was doing, he was just driving right in at the basket. And since there was no seven-footer, he didn't seem to have any sort of issues going inside and trying to make any sort of stride. Justin Robinson got in the game for three minutes, didn't score, was kind of a non-factor, but he did have one pretty sweet pass where he just like lasered the ball from around the top of the key to the corner, was a bounce pass too, did not result in a made bucket though. So it is what it is with him. I think everybody that played was pretty good on the game. Obviously, you work with what you have, no SGA, no Dort. Same goes with guys like Josh Hall too. We still don't know what's going on with him. He's kind of been a little bit wishy-washy on the injury reports, but whatever. We'll find out, and then we'll also find out what is going to be going on with Alexei Pokashevsky and if he's going to get pulled for like 14 days because of protocol, or if it's just a simple cold, and we will see him going up in our next game. And that next game is going to be tomorrow against the Washington Wizards. We played them earlier on in the week, as y'all remember. Robin Lopez won them the game, pretty much. So we'll see if Lopez is back in action. And if he goes off, you may not be complaining anyways, because we are trying to get a top pick in the league right now. So we got them tomorrow in our game. And then on Monday, we are going to be facing off against the Philadelphia 76ers in the final game of our road stand. So get ready for that. In tomorrow's episode, I'm going to be talking about the tidbits uh, just from our week, there's been a lot of kind of silent news that has been swept under the rug. So I will discuss that as well as maybe just any other thoughts, but that's going to do it for me today. So I thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you all have a great rest of your day and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.